Hey there, it's Melissa Brunetti, and welcome to the Mind Your Own Karma podcast. Hey there, Karma Crew. So glad you are joining me today. I have another adoptee story to bring you today. Imagine being four years old and being told for the first time that you are adopted. And when you heard this, you cried. And your adoptive parents said, why are you crying? You don't know her. You don't love her. Why are you crying? And what does that say to the adoptee in that moment? It will shut you down quicker than anything, right? When someone tells you your feelings are something you shouldn't be feeling, how does that make you feel? And at four years old, you're told that you shouldn't be crying over finding out you're adopted. This is what happened to my guest, Emma Stevens, an author of The Gathering Place, when she was four years old. But she said she felt an instant connection to this person that she didn't know. And that she felt so bad for this woman that was probably feeling so sad and missing her at four years old. This is the beginning of Emma's adoption journey. And let me tell you, it takes a ton of twists and turns. She has written a book, as I have said, The Gathering Place, and it is written different than any other book that I have read in the adoptee community. So I suggest you get it because it's really healing. It talks about everything that happened, but she also talks a lot about the healing process and how she did that. Her second book has just come out, and it also deals with healing adoption trauma, but it also talks about the pitfalls that adoptees could fall into because of the way we are wired from being adopted and how vulnerable we can be to predators out there, literal people that bring joy out of hurting other people, how we can be vulnerable because of our trauma. Emma's new book is called A Fire is Coming and it is available now. The links will be in the show notes. Let's dive right into Emma's story. Welcome, Emma, to the show. Thank you, Melissa. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, you wrote the book, The Gathering Place. And I just have to say, I love the way you wrote the book because it's just super different from any of the other books that I've been reading. And the way that you weave the gathering place through the book, um, through your story is just unique. And I just found that real captivating to me. And we'll get into later what the gathering place is, but, um, I just love the way that you wrote it. It was just so different. Thank you. <laughs> so let's just start. Tell us a little bit about you and then you can go into your adoption story and like the family dynamics and those things. Okay. Um, well, I'm a uh, same race. U.S. domestic baby scoop closed adoption from the 60s. And um, that's uh, the beginning of my adoption story. Currently, um, I'm a mother of two adult children and um, have been a physical trainer and then, you know, started writing books. And I'm about to launch my second one in about two weeks. 
But um, back to the adoption story, I think that like most of us in the 60s, uh, they were parents were con- conditioned to to believe the idea that we're going to be blank slate babies delivered to them and that no one was ever going to come challenging them. It was going to be their child and they were going to mold and shape us just the way they wanted to and that we didn't have any texture or fabric coming into it. Yes. And I always noticed in my own adoptive parents, a fear of scarcity is what I call it, that um, the fear was, let's just not talk about adoption, because then it won't be true. And they were always fearful of someone taking something away from them. So I think that's why they couldn't ever really even talk about that I actually came from somewhere else. Mm. And it was always that life began for me when I walked through, they carried me through into their home. It always seems kind of like the elephant in the room. Let's not talk about it. It (laughs) it definitely was. That's so true. Yeah. So what was the dynamics growing up? How were your parents? What was your adoptive experience like? Was it positive or how how was that? It was not. (laughs) It was more of a cult-like situation of authoritarianism, uh, dictatorship, where I couldn't have a thought or an opinion or a boundary uh, of my own. And if I, if I dared have that, then um, there was a lot of mind reform of where they would be telling me you, this is just evidence that you're selfish and ungrateful and you're going to turn out just like your birth mother. So did you know anything about your birth mother? Did they know anything at that time? No, they were just assuming (laughs) Yeah, they assumed and elevated that their opinion was she must have not been of good cloth or, or why would she have gotten into the terrible situation she did? Right. Um, yeah. And so did you have siblings growing up? Were they adopted as well? Yeah, I had a brother um, was two and a half years older than me. And he was adopted from the same agency where I was. So he was already in the home when I came in. And what was your relationship like now? Because I grew up with my brother who was biological, you know, my parents, my adopted parents child, and I was the only one that was adopted. So having two adopted kids in the family, how how was your relationship with him? Well, in the beginning, um, just like I say in the book, I fantasized that he was going to be my safe place to land. Um, I kind of, you know, worshiped the ground that he walked on because he was two and a half years older. And as a young boy, he was he had a lot of really sweet qualities. And so I would um, I even tried to sneak into his room at night when I'd be afraid And I was now that I look back at at the whole thing, I see that I was looking to him to help me feel attached and loved and just to feel okay. But when I would be discovered in his room at night, um, it was met with very harsh circumstances. And after that point of my brother even being mad at me for getting him in trouble Mm -hmm. for me going to his room. It really started separating us. And my parents would make sure that we weren't too, we weren't an alliance because then it would be too hard to, um, you know, dictate two people if they have an alliance together. So they did the divide and conquer. And 
I don't know if it was consciously or unconscious, but they plotted us against each other for the rest of our lives. Mm. And so we were, it was a strained relationship. Didn't they kind of plan to have the boy first and then the girl and kind of planted that seed that he was going to be the old play that older brother role and take care of you kind of, but then, Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. But then it sounds like then they were kind of, like you said, trying to divide that too. Well, yeah, in practice, it didn't happen that way. But in theory, they'd always say, this is the brother that you're going to have once we're gone and you two will be family. But yet in practice, they made sure everything they did divided us. Um, So we were not close at all. So even as adults growing up, you guys never really connected? Not too much. There, It was very strained. We, I think, tried at times, but... um, my brother and I both got into our own separate addictions to try to deal with our trauma. Um, and I managed to come out of mine, but he, he never did. And it caused his ultimate death. Oh, wow. How old was he when he passed? He had just turned 60. Mm. Wow. Yeah. It it was sad. sad. And I've had to, you know, to reflect on his life now that I look at it, um, I've been able to see how adoption colored his life from way back in those early, early years and how they just couldn't accept who he truly was and tried to change him into what they wanted. Mm. And it, it just really destroyed him as a young boy. Wow. So you told a story about when you were in school and it was about the crossing guard and you were just going through so many emotions and like thoughts. And I was just, you know, I could see the imposter syndrome going on. And then, but you, then you sensed that she was trying to protect you too. And just all these thoughts that describe the things that adoptees go through almost on the daily basis. But it just kind of, when you were reading that, I was listening to the audio and I was just like, oh my gosh, that's just that encapsulates adoptees, you know, right there. So can you explain like what was happening in that moment, what your thoughts and emotions were during and kind of tell us what happened. Well, I think it started out with um, as an adoptee, I've always been hooked on fantasy and um, had a favorite show of Bewitched and always wanted Samantha to be my birth mother. <laughs> and I think I looked at that crossing guard who had, you know, they have the uniform on and they have the orange and they she's holding a flag. She looks so official. Yeah. And this person, as I remember her, seemed extremely compassionate. And um, I had this fantasy that what if I could belong to that special group? Here again, I can see it now. I was trying to belong to something. I was looking for love, looking for attachment that I never, ever got from the time I was relinquished um, until, you know, I was about six years old in that time of looking to the crossing guard to possibly be, you know, that person that was going to take care of me. Wow. (laughs) That's so sad. It is kind of sad. (laughs) I totally get it, though. I totally get that. So how did you see, looking back, how did you see adoption affecting you in your teens and early adulthood? Yeah, there's a lot of different layers here. um, Because not only was I relinquished, and not only was I adopted, but then third, is that I was adopted into a a family with immature parents that were so riddled with their own sense of inadequacies 
that they took it out on everyone else. So it's hard for me to separate what's adoption and what is uh, dysfunctional. I mean, all of it is just for me, one thing. Yeah. And and I think the biggest thing in my teen years is because my mom's uh, selfishness, jealousy, and sense of inadequacies really kicked in towards me because I was hitting puberty and I became the other woman in the house. Mm. And even now it make, it just kind of disgusts me Yeah, that that is, that was even present, right. but I couldn't go directly and talk to my dad. I had to go through her first in order to even say hello to him. Wow. And I started wearing baggy clothes. I started, um, you know, making sure that I adapted to what her rules were because I knew there'd be hell to pay if I didn't. And so the teen years were very hard. And, and I, uh, I, you know, it was like, I took my opportunities to develop in a normal way. I just took little glimpses of it um, because I couldn't be safe enough to do that in my own home. And so luckily I was able to do enough of it to finally years later, decades later to have a voice and have boundaries and know what, you know, my self-worth is Yeah, because I wasn't taught that at home. Right. Was she just jealous of, I mean, you in the way you were looking as you were growing up or did she sense something from your birth or your adoptive father or... Well, no, I think it was more, uh, she would just be insecure towards anyone, but especially me. I always imagined it was, remember the witch that has the mirror on the wall, mirror, mirror, who's the fairest of them all. Okay. Well, she needed that constant validation. Mm. And in fact, had to have people say that we, that I looked like her. Oh, wow. And if I ever said, I don't really think so, there would be hell to pay for that. Oh, I'm sure. Yes. And in fact, if I ever told people, oh, well, that's that's great. Thank you. But I'm actually adopted. And that would be the wrong thing. Why do you always have to tell everyone you're adopted? And so I quickly learned that it was just a taboo subject. Yeah. It was a little crack in their denial that she didn't want to face. Right. Were they unable to have children? Is that why they adopted or? Yes, they were infertile. Okay. Um, Never got really a full, complete story on that. But Again, I just think it was that sad case of never solving your own problems and doing your own interior work before you take on a life that you're going to, you know, try to shape and form. Yeah. Yeah. Um, They never solved any of their problems. Yeah. And infertility is another thing. I think a lot of, you know, people are, oh, let's just adopt. But did you really deal with that you can't have a biological child. You you need to deal with that first without trying to just slap that bandaid of adoption and sliding a child and, yeah. you know, and making a family that way. Um, well, what I did feel is apologetic that I wasn't truly the biological child that she wanted. Yeah. And, you know, I could try all day long and I just couldn't meet their expectations of either one, my mom or my dad. Right. There was no way you could. <laughs> No way, no way, but I didn't know that right? at that point. And I really, truly tried. Oh, yeah. I was the good adoptee. Yeah, I was too. I get that. Mm-hmm. When did you start thinking about your 
birth parents or birth family? Was it as a child or, you know, later growing up that you started thinking about it, maybe wanting to search? I remember very early when I was told around four years old, I remember um, thinking right then I felt an immediate connection to whoever this person was out there that she must be so sad that she lost me. Mm. And I think it started right then and there that I was going to find my family someday. Do you remember being told? I do. By your parents? I cried. You do. Do you I remember cried. how you, I was say, do you yeah. remember how you felt or what? Oh my gosh. And, and, the, and that's when it began for my parents to, that really disarmed them that I would cry. Yeah. Like what you don't love her. <laughs> you don't even know her. You don't remember anything. Wow. Yeah. But Oh my gosh. I can't imagine. Um, so you started thinking about her right away then just the birth, the birth mother, or did you think about the birth father or did you have, you know, like, I, I would say it was birth mother until my, um, probably in college. And then I started, you know, really putting an idea in motion or, or thought process of how am I going to do this? How am I going to find my, and then it became birth parents instead of just birth mother. Yeah. So tell us how, how your search went, what happened? How did you find out? It was very difficult. Yeah. yeah, Very convoluted. I didn't know the first thing of what I was doing (laughs) and it was pre computer network. Um, instant information at our so hands, when was this know. about then in the mid okay. 80s mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so it was writing letters making phone calls and truly i would just write a letter and just ho- in hopes that maybe would someone would make a mistake send me my original birth certificate or give me a piece of information that i could build on and this went on for probably three or four years mm-hmm. Before I finally decided I'm not going to get anywhere until I go to the adoption agency where I was adopted from and talk to them one-on-one. And that's really when uh, my case started moving forward. So what happened? I talked to the very woman who counseled my birth mother. Oh, wow. And that really threw me. Yeah. How old were you then when this happened? 24. 24. Wow. Well, at that point, she produced a letter that my birth mother had written to them after I was relinquished. And she said all that time she was in the maternity home, she'd used a fictitious name. And so we didn't know her by the ni- this new name that she had signed the letter with. Oh, wow. So that was a piece of information. Now I knew she used a fictitious name. Yeah. And that there was a letter written. And they did give me the letter, but, you know, redacted the, her name at the end. So I had her wording and I took that back home with me, studied it backwards and forwards, you know, trying to think of, well, what does this mean? And what does that mean? Yeah. And the biggest thing is I couldn't, um, well, I didn't know how I was ever going to find her because even if I did ever get my original birth certificate, it was going to have a fake name on it. So what? how is that even legal? To put a fake name on a original on, and a birth certificate. The whole thing even... seems illegal to me. <laughs> right? It does. So you take this letter home and then what did you do? I mean, kind of was a dead end at the adoption agency at that point, right? 
Yeah. And I realized she gave me that information that I really would not ever find anyone unless I had that letter with the real name on the letter. And it just so happened I was dating someone in that same city at the time. And um, he seemed to be my co-partner in the search and was very excited about, you know, getting information for me, this and that. And we started brainstorming. And I just said to him, since I've been to the agency now, I've seen that it wouldn't be that hard to get through that front door and try to find that letter. <laughs> I was 24, had had a lot of gusto. Yeah. Not a lot <laughs> I love of it. I love critical it. thinking. <laughs> so, yeah, that's exactly what we did. So we um, waited till they closed and went in or what? Yeah, definitely. Um waited until it was dark and uh, put the, the cap on and the gloves and the dark clothing. And uh, we were just petrified, just absolutely petrified. I don't <laughs> want to go into too much of it because it's kind of the thrilling part yeah, of the book. Yeah. But anyway, I did come out of that whole situation with the letter after I got it Xeroxed from or copied. Xerox is a brand. We copied it at the library uh-huh. and um, then became the search of how to figure out, I couldn't read the name because it was kind of uh, blurry. So I went to a person that was going to help me find out what that name was. And I did find the name and then it just keep, it kept progressing. Yeah. That's crazy that you, you that finally point. get it and it's blurred and you still can't. Read it. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't read it. You're like, oh no. It. I could read the first name, but the last name was really blurred. Wow. And so you finally do find out the name and how did you find her from there? Well, um, from that point, I was able to found the hometown of where she was born and it was a small town, found out she was a family member of about seven. Oh, wow. And I thought if I contacted that hometown that probably know someone's Mm going to remember a big family like that. And they did. I found her eldest sister. Okay. And uh, she was, she gave up the name really quickly, uh, gave me a phone number and said, you know, give her a call. Wow. And so I sat on that for a few days because I had to plan out what I was going to say to her and uh, try to have my nerves under control enough to, and I wanted to make sure she was in a safe place and she was alone. And I didn't want to just drop this huge bombshell right. on her, but I'm sure, I'm sure it was anyway. Yeah. I wonder if her sister said anything to her, like, you know. I think I remember she did call my birth mother and said, you're going to be receiving a phone call from someone that was trying to find oh, you. So she probably knew maybe, maybe. But she still seemed pretty shocked when I told her. Oh, she did. Yeah. So how did that go? Are you, you know, how did the reunion go? It was bittersweet. The first meeting was very bittersweet. I flew to where she was and um, it was very uh, odd. It was ironic that she seemed a lot, not exactly like my adoptive mom, but shared the low self-worth and the um, inability to accept responsibility. And she kind of shifted the roles of where I was to be her mother 
And um, I didn't want to accept that role. We did have reunion for about two or three years, but it kind of fizzled out because I don't think she knew what to do with me. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I didn't know what to do with yes, her either. I know. Yeah. It's hard to car- compartmentalize um, those people and where they're going to fit into your life, who they're going to be, you know, to you. It, yeah. It's so difficult. I mean, we have reunion and then it's what, what now? What now? now where, where do we yeah. go? I hadn't even thought of that part of Yeah. I didn't either when I did. I didn't either. And then you're just kind of like, you hit this brick wall and you're like, yeah. well, now what, <laughs> what do we do now? <laughs> yeah. It's- and there was no uh, cosmic connection <sighs> between, I don't know how she felt. I can't speak for yeah. her, but I certainly, I didn't look like her. Mm. I didn't act. I didn't see any of those traits of where I hear adoptees yeah. say yeah, carbon copy. Wow. No, I didn't see anything. I was quite disappointed to I tell bet. you the truth. And I went back and even checked my facts because I thought there's been a mistake. Yeah. yeah. My birth mother, we looked alike. So I, I did have that, which was kind of shocking. It was shocking too, yeah. you know, to like just to see someone yeah. that looked like you. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I think for her, she wanted that mother daughter bond. And for me, I kind of felt like I felt a bond with her, but I felt like more like, oh, like a, like a, a close aunt or a cousin or, you know, something like that, where we would just kind of pal around and because we had a lot of the same interests, it was kind of weird. And so we'd like to go to the antique stores and, you know, stuff like that. And so um, I was having fun. I thought, I thought everything was great, but she wasn't getting her expectations met, I don't think. And so we did have that second rejection or I had the second rejection um, from her, but that was probably seven or eight years down the road, you know, but it kind of came out of nowhere for me because I thought everything was going pretty good, mm. but apparently it wasn't. Yeah. I, I actually got the feeling that she wanted me to absolve her of her guilt. Mm. And I told her right up front, you know, that I didn't, there was no blame. In fact, I'm just excited to be standing in front of her to say, look, I'm okay. I'm here. Yeah. I'm not lost anymore. Yeah. I found you. So you felt like her main concern wasn't that you were okay, but that you would forgive her. So did you get a lot of excuses and like, well, I had to because, you know, this, that, and the other. Yeah. And it really came down again. She was just like my adoptive mom, that it was really all about them. Yeah. And that is definitely not what an an adoptee wants to hear is all the excuses. I mean, you do want to hear your story, but that's not for you to fix or carry or yeah, they expected me to fix their problems and hold their emotions in my hands. And it wasn't mine to hold. No, but okay. So you were in your early twenties when you met her then? Yes. Still. And even yes. at that point, like you said, he's, even as a child, you don't re- you still don't realize that that's not, that's not your burden to carry, especially in that relationship where you're you know, it's like, this is my birth mother. Finally, like I've been waiting yeah. since I was four years old, you know, I want this to work out. And then mm-hmm. it doesn't always work out. No, <laughs> very well, no. And it would take me years later to discover actually who I was. Yeah. Yeah. What, how, how old were you when that journey started? Mm. Do you think? Well, I mean, I think it's been incremental and definitely not linear. Yeah. Uh, but it took a very va- uh, fast pace six years ago Mm. because of a catalyst that more or less 
made me come face to face with, you know, you either look at this or it's either you, you live or you die. Yes. It was really kind of that critical. Yep. And that only happened six years ago. Wow. Yeah. That happened to me about 14 years ago. Same thing. I felt like if I don't find myself today, starting right Mm -hmm. this minute that I was Mm going to die, literally felt like I was dying. So I totally get what you're saying there. Yeah. Um, so how about your biological father? Well, the funny thing is when I did steal the original birth certificate, um, and indeed birth mother had a fictitious name on the birth certificate, but she totally gave up my birth father and used his (laughs) real name. Wow. So I didn't know that at that point, but once I started researching and did, I did find him, even though he said he was not, he did it just to help out a friend. He signed my birth certificate. He said to just help my birth mother out. And, um, Mm. but that's when I did have face recognition of mirroring that we did look a little bit alike. There are a lot of similarities. And I mm-hmm. walked away from that meeting with him thinking, he says he's not my birth father, but I really innately feel like he is. Oh, wow. But I wouldn't discover that truth until decades later when DNA came out mm. and was able to find my paternal birth family. Okay. And even though he hadn't ever done a DNA test, a lot of his family members did. Right. So yeah. that was another search to find to connect all those dots. But now we have Facebook and we have all these search engines and so on and so forth. Yeah. It can can, happen so fast now. Yeah. So I found them pretty easily. Yeah. So did you ever get to confront him again with that? He had died two years previous before I found him for the second time. Wow. Yeah. So you did at least get to meet him that one time, but yes. And he, he hugged me. He, he did. He hugged me for a long time. And oh. I was thinking, this is really odd. Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand why he's doing this. Yeah. It all makes sense now. It does. So do you have any biological siblings or relatives that you still keep in touch with? I have cousins, um, uh, quite a few first cousins on my paternal side. And I have some half brothers on both maternal and uh, paternal. And I would say... I've met in the last three years, I've met my paternal first cousins and um, specifically one cousin that has been very inviting and we are still very close. In fact, I'm having a FaceTime with her tonight at five o'clock. Oh, nice. (laughs) And uh, they've been very gracious and they don't care that I tell my story the way I tell it. Nice. They don't say, don't talk that way about our family member. Yeah. You know, maybe he had his reasons. In fact, I had one of them say, that's terrible. He shouldn't have treated you that wow. way. Wow. How validating. It was very validating. And so far we've had, um, you know, there's not a ton of connection, but um, it feels good. Yeah. Feels like we're off to a good start. Yeah. That's great. So um, throughout the book, you talk about the gathering place. Now is the gathering place where your healing started to take place? The gathering place. And here's another ironic thing is that where I live, we actually have a park, a very nice park called the gathering place. 
Oh, wow. But I've never been, and it has nothing to do, my story has nothing to do with that place. But I developed it through when I got into a certain kind of counseling with EMDR, which I mentioned in the book, and it just made me understand that when you do your healing and you you have to start with being in a safe place or you're not going to be vulnerable. You're not going to look at your stuff. You're not going to be accepting of your reality. And so mm-hmm. I just pictured in my mind, and that's what I came up with is kind of the front cover of my book of a t- big oak tree on a hill with green grass and flowers all around and just, you know, blue sky clouds. And it just helped me get into that spot of what if all my parts that make up my whole, what if I go back and visit each one of them and I give them what they need, what they didn't get from anyone that should have been helping them, but I can give myself now. Yeah. So I try to make that more of a bring it into reality, even though what I wrote about is fantasy, but does our mind really know the difference? Yeah. (laughs) You know, it was fantasy, but not really. I mean, it's like, like you said, that is, and you know, I, I, everybody's got a different take on what's going to help them heal. But I totally agree that you have to save yourself. The answers are already in you. So that's where you have to go. And I feel like you took each, uh, you know, like age group almost of your life and like what they went through and nurtured that. And what did you, you know, you listened, you validated and you helped heal all those different little areas. And, and the little childhood one was just so heartbreakingly beautiful the way you told that story. And, you know, at first I was kind of like, trying to figure out what was going on. What is the gathering place? You know, who are all these people? (laughs) You know, and then I'm like, wait a minute, about, you know, halfway through, I'm like, okay, I think I'm figuring this out now. (laughs) But yeah, I totally agree that you have to heal yourself. You have to figure out what the root of the hurt is Mm -hmm. and go all the way down. And I feel like you are doing that by taking each little piece and and doing that. And it was just, it was really, really good. I love that. Thank you. And I would also say that while my search, all the search that I did was very important, but in the end, it wasn't the number one thing that helped me heal. Yeah. And, and that is what you just described of how it's own it's within us. We have to validate ourselves, find our own healing. And then two, I'd say my adoptive, my, no, my adoptee, community is what's helped heal me the most yeah. not meeting not meeting birth mother um you know it, it's been more of talking with people like you and on all your podcasts everything you've said has been resonating with me mm. and each thing i hear each kernel is just a little soothing a little yeah. more healing yeah it just keeps going on and on thank you yeah when i i feel the same way i just walked into the, you know, I think I wasn't even, my podcast wasn't even about adoptees yet adoption. And, um, and I went on a Facebook group and I was just like, I, I could not believe all the hurt and trauma there. It was just heartbreaking. And I was just like, I have to change my podcast. 
I have to get this out. I have to tell this, you know, story because I did have a positive experience, but I still have the primal wound and I still have things that I struggled with and, you know, had to heal in myself as well. And if I can help anybody, and I think part of helping the adoptive community is educating everyone else so that we can get the narrative out there of what really happens and what we really go through. Cause it's just not, not being told. Yeah, I agree. But I do think it's almost the best time ever to yes. be an adoptee yes. in the times and the technology that we have now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, I think it is going to help people get there a lot quicker than ever before. Yeah, no, I totally and more agree. and more of us yeah. are speaking and we're telling our stories are so important. Yeah. And the more, you know, you hear one story. Okay. But you hear four or five stories and we're all kind of, you know, all about the same thing. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. okay, maybe this is a thing, <laughs> you know, this isn't just one person that's saying this. No, there's a total uprising going on. I think it's great. And it gives all of us permission. Yeah. Right? Oh yeah. That Oh, well, she's talking about it. I can talk about it now. Yep. And so I think we, I feel a groundswell. I do too. Happening. I do too. I think it's great. And so your book come, you know, now you're having a second book come out. Is it about adoption as well? Or yes, it, it definitely has that component in it, but it's bringing to light one of the other situations that I talk about in the book. Okay. But I, I'm doing a deep dive in, especially for adoptees to be very, very careful because, because of our demeanor and our people pleasing habits, mm-hmm. especially um, we can be exploited. Yeah. And yeah. so that's what uh, my next book is, is talking about that. Interesting. Cause I don't think that's out there in a book anywhere that I know of either. So that'll be interesting. When's it come out? Probably in about two weeks. Oh, I'm wow. hoping fingers okay. crossed. <laughs> yeah. Let me know. And I'll, I'll advertise it on my page. Absolutely. Thank you. So just in your personal opinion, then do you think that we can ever heal from the primal wound or do we always carry that wound with us? Well, for me personally, I had to look at it and I had to name it and only, and I had to befriend it. Mm. And so now when I go throughout my day and I react a certain way in a certain situation, I'm like, ah, there it is. I, I see it and I'm not harsh with myself, but I'm understanding it doesn't negate if there is truly a situation that's gone, you know, wrong. Yes. Um, but yet at the same time, I understand what my motivation is and how to maybe keep more in check and not make, make it overly um, about my adoption angst. Right. Um, So I know it's always going to be there. It's always evolving with me getting more and more understanding about it and Mm -hmm. how to, like I said, befriend it. Yeah. Yeah. So what, cause you know, my thing is, you know, educating the world here. So what is, one thing about adoption that you think the world needs to know? Well, (laughs) that's a big question, but (laughs) I would say for, for people to understand it's not a one and done. A lot of people think, haven't you gotten over that yet? Why are you still harping about that? Right. Because like um, the psychologist, Eric Erickson, um, he developed the life developmental stages And um, that's what an adoptee does throughout their lifespan. They have to cope and identify and adapt 
and acknowledge and identify their adoption, their identity all through their life. And I've accepted that. That is just going to be part of me. I don't know any different. Yeah. You don't know any different. Right. Um, and so I would like to let others know, non-adoptee people know that that's why we have to keep talking about it because it's ever changing, progressing. It's pervasive. It's always there. Right. Yeah. It doesn't go away. I think it just evolves. And the more we work on it, we work on ourselves, it kind of mutates. And, you know, like you said, hopefully we can catch ourselves um, and be compassionate with ourselves when we do catch ourselves. But like you, I know what my motivation is and it's not to be, you know, to be triggered and, and come from a traumatic place and react, you know? Yeah. It gives me choice. Yes. It is like, you know, when we're regulated in our emotions, it gives us choice of how we want to react, how we want to show up. Yeah. And I like that. Yeah. Cause it, I've taken my power back. Exactly. I didn't have a lot of power. I wasn't treated very well. Yeah. In my youth. Yeah. And, and now I'm all about the joy of evolving and uh, continuing to be connected in a, in a healthy way. Yeah. And now that I know the difference now. Exactly. So it, do you go kind of into that, into the second book? I do. The healing and. And I do too? in the last part of uh, mm-hmm. the second or first book too. But yes, I yeah. do. It's very. A little probably a little, more in depth. A little more in depth, but it's very reminiscent of the things that I've discovered to be true. Yeah. I'm just speaking for myself, you know, I can't say that everyone feels this way. All adoptees do that. <laughs> right. Right. But like I say, you know, everybody's story is different, but there's always going to be people that will be able to relate to your story. And that's why we need to tell it because every, there's so many adoptees that just feel like they're so alone and they they're in their feelings and emotions and things. And that's what I love about these groups. It's just like, these people are just like, Oh my God, thank God I could say whatever. And you guys like aren't coming judging home. Me. Yeah. It's so cool. I love yeah, it. Hi, hi, I'm home. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I feel like ET or something. <laughs> it's so much like that. <laughs> totally like that. You know, Hollywood loves our story. Yeah. Because they tell the adoptee story in so many different ways. Right. I think that would be a good, that would be, somebody needs to do that. Maybe they are. And somebody is probably doing that. Well, it, it, I think it has kind of come out on some TV shows and stuff. I've been hearing, I don't really watch a lot of TV, but. This but there, is us. Yeah. 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 They did a fairly good job about that. Yeah. That's what yeah. I've been hearing. So that maybe it is the narratives changing is getting out there um, in movies and TV. That would be so great. Mm-hmm. That would be so great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To tell the accurate story mm-hmm. instead of, you know, the, the Disneyland, the Disneyland, <laughs> the Disneyland story. and that's only harmful, not only to adoptees, but even to adoptive parents, because that just perpetuates the narrative and they keep yes. thinking, it, you know, we can do this. This is the way it goes. Yes. And it just creates havoc for everyone. Right. Unhappiness. So true. So true. The education is just not out there. Yeah. And it needs to be. It does. Well, is there anything else that you want to touch on before we end that we didn't? Um, I, I guess um, I would bring up disenfranchised grief that until I was able to go through my grieving of my relinquishment and my adoption, mm. And the mm-hmm. kind of family I grew up in, there was not going to be any healing for me. Yeah. And that's yeah. tough and it's awkward and messy, but it was necessary. And again, that's the permission that you were talking about because we're told that 
Why are we feeling this way? Yeah. And you have to give yourself permission to be able to grieve that and feel all the feelings and work through that in however way, way you need to. But we're not told that. Yeah. And, and we get to say, I care about myself enough to yeah. know that I need that to survive, not only survive, but to thrive. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yes. Totally. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Good luck with your second book coming out. I'm excited. Mm, so let me I know when too. it comes out. I want to get it and read it. <laughs> I will definitely keep you in the loop. I promise All you. All right. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, Melissa. It was a pleasure. I cannot tell you how hearing these adoptees stories Hearing the stories where the adoptees take their power back and share with us how they do that, it's so powerful for us to have that permission to heal and to know that the power to heal is within us gives us our power back. And I love what Emma said about healing starts in a safe place. And that safe place is you. And you may not feel that right now. You might not trust yourself or feel that you are a safe place. And that should be your goal to get there. And if you've listened to this podcast for any amount of time, you know what I'm about to say. How do you become a safe place? is you realize the essence, the true essence of you, your authenticity, who you really are. That is where you start. It's a process. I'm not going to lie. It is a process. And you've probably heard that in every story that I have brought to you of adoptees, that it is a process, but a process that is so necessary to get you to a healthy place. I've been through the process and I'm here with you every step of the way. And that is one of the things I want to focus on this year on Mind Your Own Karma, the Adoption Chronicles, is healing and the steps that it needs to take for you to get there. And I'll tell you more about that in the coming months. If you are an adoptee or anyone in the triad that would like to come on the show and tell your story to help educate the world, please contact me at mindyourownkarma at gmail.com. If you are a regular listener to the podcast and you have not reviewed the podcast, please do so if it is permitted on your listening platform. You can also consider subscribing to the podcast. It is totally free. And that way you will get notified of any new episodes that come out. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook as well if you'd like to follow me there. If you are interested in Emma's books, the links are in the show notes. One thing I would like to end with is if you have been thinking about sharing your story on the podcast... And maybe that little voice in your head is just saying, why bother? Why bother? Because right now, there is someone out there with a wound in the exact shape of your words. And they need to hear your story. That's why. As always... 
take what you need and leave what you don't. And always remember to mind your own karma. I'll see you next time.